I told you last week uh, I needed new jokes, and I've gotten a few. Here's another one if you don't like this one. Um, oh, dear, I forgot who gave me this one. I, th- I think Ed Kiger, he's not here today to blame, so if, it's, if you don't like it, blame him anyhow. It says, a pastor decided to skip church one Sunday morning and go play golf. He called his assistant and told him he wasn't feeling well. He drove to a golf course in another city so nobody would know who he was. He teed off on the first hole, and a huge wind caught that ball and carried it an extra 100 yards and dropped right into the hole for a hole-in-one, 450-yard hole. An angel looked at God and said, why did you do that? And God smiled and said, well, who's he going to tell? You'll turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 2 this morning, verses 1 through 10. Marvelous book that the Lord has given to us to talk about a problem that was facing the churches there in the province of Galatia, but also it's a problem that the churches today face. And we're going to look at it again, as I said, we'll touch upon it probably every week as we go through the book of Galatians. It reads as this, 14 years later, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I also took Titus along. I went in response to a revelation and set before them the gospel that I preached among the Gentiles. But I did this privately to those who seemed to be leaders for fear that I was running or had run my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We do not give in to them to them for one moment, so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. As for those who seem to be important, whatever they were, makes no difference to me. God does not judge by external appearance. Those men added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the Jews. For God, who was at work in the ministry of Peter as an apostle to the Jews, was also at work in the ministry, my ministry, as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Peter, and John, those reputed to be pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they realized or recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews." All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Paul defends the gospel. As I said, there are many in the area of churches or religions today that try to change the gospel or add to the gospel. But Paul always came in defense of the truth 
of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone and nothing else. There is a group in our world today called the Mormons or the Church of the Latter-day Saints. I understand they built a marvelous temple just outside of Washington, D.C. in Kensington, Maryland. I've been told if you were to travel around the turnpike and parameter around D.C., you would see this beautiful structure. And at night, I'm told it is lit up and with the lights on it, it is just absolutely inspiring, as beautiful as it is. It's statues. It's angelic statues, inspires. But if one were to look closely at this tabernacle, they would notice that there are no crosses on it. Just as that building has no crosses, their religion really has no major place for Jesus Christ. The Mormons would tell you they believe in Jesus, but they would tell you also He is not the only way of salvation. They believe that people ultimately will become divine. They do not believe that the Bible is God's final revelation to humankind. They claim that the Bible has errors in it, and they do not believe in a literal heaven or a literal hell. But the tragedy of that is that Jesus taught just the opposite. The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is the truth. And we have to understand or choose, if I can put it that way, between accepting the truth of what Jesus has to say or what some religion wants to put in front of us. You see... The problem with the Latter-day Saints, and then many others, is they say that Jesus is not enough. They teach that an individual can reach their eternal destiny by something added to what Jesus Christ did on the cross at Calvary. Jesus plus something. No different than the Judaizers of Paul's day. The Judaizers were saying that Jesus is fine. We just have something really grand to add to it that you need beyond Jesus. They basically were teaching Jesus plus the laws of Moses. And the counterfeits of today teach the same thing. They'll say it's Jesus plus some extra biblical teaching over here that some great prophet has stated. They will say it's Jesus plus all these rich rituals you need to go through. It's Jesus plus all these rules that have been set up. Jesus plus some kind of special revelation. They're out there. You know that as well as I do. But Paul, in the book of Galatians, and right here, right now, in the second chapter, stands up and says, no, not at all. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. This chapter gives us basically a behind-the-scenes look of Acts chapter 15. 
At the end of Paul's first missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas returned to the city of Antioch that had sent them out. And they reported to the church what God had done. Verse 27 of chapter 14 says, God had opened the doors of faith to the Gentiles. But when they reported this back to the church, those who were false teachers, the Judaizers there that were in Antioch, said, no, they must become a Jew first. They must be circumcised first. And this led to a meeting, as I said, found in Acts chapter 15. And quite honestly, that chapter has a lot to do with the way you and I worship today. The way you and I live today, whether you know that or not. The outcome of that meeting of Acts chapter 15 affects you and I today. That's one of the reasons you and I worship on Sunday instead of Saturday. That's one of the reasons why some of you had bacon this morning for breakfast. Why some of you might have barbecue this afternoon after this service is over. We eat pork. That's the reason why within the Christian church there are few ceremonies. In fact, I would like to call them memorials. We use the, the Lord's Supper, communion, commemorating what and remembrance of what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. We have baptism as an outward sign of, of that I am now a follower of Christ. The central issue to Christianity has always been Jesus Christ and Him alone and how an individual is saved. What does it mean to be saved? Or how is a person saved? That's what the argument here is all about, the Apostle Paul. We could go to the book of Acts in chapter 15 for a moment. And let me read the first two verses here. It says, Some men came down from Judea to Antioch, who were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. And so here is that issue about what does it mean and how, does, or how should one become a Christian. And so here we see Paul telling us what happened behind the scenes there in Acts chapter 15. Notice... Paul called a private meeting with the elders there in Jerusalem. And I believe what Paul did there is he presented a very doctrinal dissertation of explaining the essence of the gospel and defended his call and his message and why he was doing what he did. He explained the good news and found out that it was identical to what the apostles were teaching. Paul met privately with these individuals so that when they would confront the Judaizers, those who were teaching a false gospel, that they would be united as one and not split. That's why Paul said, just in case I hadn't run in vain, the idea is if the, the apostles were not united when they met with these legalists in, in a meeting, chaos would take place. Paul's fear was at maybe the leadership of Jerusalem 
because of their cultural prejudice and, and bias, were influenced by these false teachers, and they were either accepting or tolerating their teaching, which was not the case. And Paul understood that if chaos came, it would split the church. His fear was not that his message was wrong, but that it would not be accepted as the truth. People oppose the gospel of grace. And here these teachers that were doing that, Paul calls false brothers, false teachers. And literally, they were tools of Satan. Now, let me emphasize something here. The teaching of the Judaizers was not just a misunderstanding of a passage of Scripture or some biblical truth. It wasn't a misapplication or, or due to ignorance. Just like a, a palace over in Acts chapter 18. It says, Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the Scriptures. He had been instructed in the ways of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he only knew the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Here it's interesting that you had a, a, a believer who hadn't been instructed on the baptism of the Holy Spirit and was only understood the baptism of Jesus. And, and he was out there preaching and teaching Jesus and men need, and women need to be born again. But here these two, Priscilla and Aquila, this husband and wife, took him aside and privately explained to him more clearly because, see, he didn't have all of this book. He didn't have the New Testament like we do. It was out of ignorance. But the, see, the Judaizers weren't teaching out of ignorance. They were teaching a false teaching, twisting the gospel message. These legalists had perverted the gospel, which, of course, Paul earlier said in chapter 1 was no gospel at all. It wasn't a problem of baptism. And still to this day, we can debate the mode of baptism. We can debate about how church government ought to be, whether it's staff-led, whether it's congregational, whether it's by committee. We can discuss issues and disagree over the events of end times. But that was not their case. They were out to pervert the truth of the gospel. They were tools of Satan. And by the way, understand this. Satan will use anybody or anything to muddy the waters of the gospel so that it's not understood. Anything that would hinder the gospel being presented and not understood clearly. You see, these false teachers were saying, you are not a Christian, you are not saved unless you're circumcised. Unless you follow the customs of the Jewish people, the traditions of the Jewish people, and the rituals of the Jewish people. I know I've said this to you before, but I'll say it again. I, I was back in college. I was driving down the road. I had my radio on one day, and I heard a, a, a preacher get up and say, and this was the title of his sermon, is a believer saved until he's baptized? And I said to myself, of course he's saved. He's a believer. He believes in Jesus. But he went on to explain that it's believing plus baptism. Uh, I listened to that message that day. A false teacher. 
You don't have to be baptized as much as I think one ought to as a testimony, but that's beside the point. Paul continually came back that we are saved by grace through faith, not circumcision, not anything external. In fact, Paul even taught that true circumcision is of the heart over in Colossians chapter 2, verse 11. He says, in him you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ. Paul here is being led by the Lord to make clear the presentation of the gospel message, to show these leaders at Jerusalem that what he preached was the same message they preached, the same that John and Peter and and James taught, that message of salvation, grace through faith. And that's the same message that's being taught today in a gospel, Bible-believing church. That message is that all of us are sinners. Every one of us. We're born sinful. In Bible study class this morning, we're looking at Paul's, uh, excuse me, uh, David's confession of a sin in Psalm 51, and he says he was a sinner by, from birth. He was born a sinner. We are all sinners. And that sin separates us from God. And the Bible teaches so clearly we cannot save ourselves. But we need a Savior. And that Savior is Jesus Christ. The only Savior. He went to a cross. Died in our place. Took my sin upon Him. And died in my place. He was buried. Rose again. Said I know that when I put my faith and trust in Him. Heaven is my eternal home. What we need to do is repent of our sin. And put our faith And trust in what Jesus did on that cross. You know, if you were to look at the New Testament, 21 of the books of the New Testament were either written by Paul, James, John, or Peter. And you look at what they teach about salvation, every one of them affirms the same message. There's no contradiction amongst them. The gospel is clear, it's plain. The leaders there at Jerusalem could not improve on what Paul was teaching And what he taught. And verse 9 there tells them that they gave him the right hand of fellowship. Now to again prove his point. Paul says I brought along Titus as exhibit A. Titus was a product of Paul's ministry. He was a Gentile, a Greek. He was not circumcised. And he said Paul is saying here's living proof that circumcision Externally is not necessary. All of the regulations that the Jews put out there, observing the Old Testament rituals and traditions, were not necessary for salvation. The only thing that was necessary was faith in Jesus Christ. Had they told Titus he needed to be circumcised, it would have been an admission that there was something besides trusting what Jesus Christ did on the cross for salvation was necessary. They didn't insist. They didn't even think of it. He was an example of a Gentile Christian. Yet the false teachers of that day, the pseudo-Christians, phony believers said you have to do something beyond trusting Jesus for salvation. Paul makes mention here that they were doing that to put us back into bondage because we in Christ are set free. We're set free from sin. We're set free from the laws and the rituals and rules and 
We're set free from condemnation. We're set free to literally become all that the Lord created us to be. A freedom that we have that no religion can give us. And by the way, that freedom isn't licensed to sin. It's freedom to have victory over sin. 1 John chapter 3, verse 6 says, No one who lives in Him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen Him or known Him. Paul is saying, excuse me, John is saying there that a sinful lifestyle is evidence that you don't know Jesus. It's not that we as Christians aren't tempted, and it's not that we don't miss the mark, but we realize we're sinful, and once we realize sin has entered our life or temptation has come and we've given into it, we repent and we turn and we'll get back right with the Lord. You see, the Judaizers were wrong. Their goal was to undermine the gospel. Their goal was to destroy the freedom that the believers had. Their goal was to undermine God's grace. If they could convince anyone that there was something they had to do to be saved, that there was some kind of performance that they needed to do, some kind of religious ceremony or act they had to do, something they had to earn or merit salvation, it would have destroyed the gospel of grace. Because that's not grace, that's works. You add anything to grace, you put bondage upon a person. Because you see, if there's something you have to do or I have to do to be saved, we can always wonder, did I do enough? Did I do it right? But when it's by faith and just trusting what Jesus did, it sets us free. Paul here refused to budge. Why? Was he just stubborn, boneheaded, as my daddy would say? Why did he get so bent out of shape and upset that these people were there? Why not just compromise on this little small issue? Well, Paul understood he needed to stand his ground. It was absolutely necessary to stand firm because the truth was at stake. The truth of the gospel, the truth of salvation was at stake. The gospel message was held in balance. How an individual is saved. That was the issue. That was the important issue in mind. It wasn't saved because you became a Jew. Christianity wasn't just added on to Judaism. Christianity stands alone. Freedom and eternity was at stake. Freedom from the law. Freedom from external ceremonies. Freedom from performance, and ultimately, freedom from the curse in hell. You see, the Bible tells us that when we are in Christ, there is no condemnation to that believer. Romans 8.1 says it this way, Therefore there is now condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The battle Paul was fighting, that still has to be fought today, is if there's anything that clouds the gospel... If there's anything that hurts the preaching of the gospel, if there's anything that hinders or perverts the truth so that salvation becomes cloudy, it has to be fault. Because salvation is so simple. It's so simple that a youngster can understand it and be saved at a very young age. That battle goes on. There are churches, there are cults out there today that says you need to trust Jesus, but you've got to do this. 
You need Jesus plus baptism. You need Jesus plus confirmation. You need Jesus plus membership. You need Jesus plus the rituals that we have. You, Jesus plus these rules, these works. No, we just need Jesus. You and I do not compromise on the gospel of truth. We compromise on music. We sang praise choruses today. We sang, sang hymns today. We had a special but beautiful southern gospel. We compromise on that. We worship together on that. We, we can compromise on the color of carpet or the, what we paint the walls. We can compromise on, on the times of services that fit our schedules best. But we never compromise on the truth of salvation. We never compromise that salvation is by Jesus, by God's grace, through faith. The end result, we see here in verses 9 and 10, was that the right hand of fellowship was extended. The truth was, when Jesus died on that cross, the barriers between the Jews and the Gentiles was broken. It was broken down. Didn't matter what the religious background you came from. Didn't matter where your history was, what your heritage was. All of that was set aside. Paul wanted the apostles and the leaders of the church there at Jerusalem to recognize that God was at work in his ministry and in his life. And they did just that. There was no difference in the message. The gospel was the same. What Paul was teaching and preaching was the same as the apostles were preaching and teaching. There was unity. There was harmony. There was partnership in that. And the conclusion was that Paul, you and Barnabas, you go preach to the Gentiles. We will stay preaching to the Jews. We'll take the same message to different people because we can communicate better with certain people. Isn't that true about you and me? You see, there's people you can reach for Jesus that I, as pastor of this church, wouldn't be given the time of day. There's people that I will reach because of who I am and my background and my history that you will not be able to reach. We have our areas of work and ministry different, but yet we're united because we preach and teach the same message. The other thing that they mentioned is that they were to take care of those who were in need. An expression of divine, genuine love for people. And Paul says, I'm already doing that and we need to keep doing that. God calls us to witness so that we reach people. We work as a team. One of the things that uh, the mission trip up to West Virginia, I think there were 14 different churches represented, Brother Steve, if I understood right. 14 churches here in Aiken County got together uh, and went and ministered to some folks in a very beautiful part of West Virginia. But they worked as a team, different churches, but each church working and ministering together with the gifts God gave them. Paul came away from that meeting with confidence that they were brothers in Christ there at Jerusalem, preaching the same gospel message, grace of God 
accepted by faith in Jesus Christ. And that same message is today. It's still going out today in churches that stand with and for the Word of God. Teaching that truth. Preaching that you need Jesus. Preaching that everyone is a sinner and cannot save themselves. So let me conclude today with these words by kind of asking a question. Do you know Jesus Christ as your own personal Lord and Savior? Do you know Him? Has there been a day when you understood you were a sinner and you turned to Jesus and Him alone and asked for forgiveness? You know, if you've not done that, whether you're young or old, today is the day you need to do that. Because the Spirit of God was speaking to you. In fact, it's the Spirit of God that's telling you what you need to do. Turn to Jesus and ask Him to be your Lord and Savior because God is offering you the grace that Paul talked about here. He's still offering it today. Repent of your sin. Ask Jesus to forgive you and trust what He did on the cross for your very own. Shall we pray? Lord, I just want to say thank you again for the few minutes we've had together here today. Uh, Such a privilege to stand here uh, at Cornerstone. Thank you for calling us here. Lord, if there is someone here today that has never asked the Lord Jesus to be their Savior, I ask you to let them leave their seat today and come in front of this church family and acknowledge that they're going to trust Him. Lord, if there's a brother or sister here that's struggling with an issue and needs prayer today, I ask them to come and pray for them or have brothers and sisters to gather around them and pray over their needs. Let your spirit move in a wonderful, mighty way today, and we'll say thank you for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.